Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, and uh, welcome to yet another edition in the interminable decades-long, I'm sorry, distracted by dog. Excuse me. Okay. All right. Hang on. That's okay. Um, whatever it was I was trying to say, I was making fun of the fact that I've I've spent most of my adult life yapping like this. Seems absurd. Anyway, here we go again. Um, it's uh, just to set us in uh, time and space. Uh, it is April twenty eighth. It's a Wednesday uh, this evening for the first time. Joe Biden will address what would normally be a joint session of Congress, but of course we'll only have 200 socially distanced humans uh, wearing masks and he will uh, make history being the first president to have behind him two women. I think I said this yesterday, it's sounding awful familiar, so I'm going to move on. Um, You know, one of the nice things, I've also sort of alluded to this before, being in the central time zone is, you know, the the State of the Union is at 9 o'clock your time. It's 8 o'clock my time, which makes it so much uh, easier to do one's civic duty. Uh... Okay, so there's a lot of stuff I have in front of me, and I'm not sure, as is often the case, how to stack it here. But um, let me just start with something that I just saw, which surprised me, passing it on, even though it's a subject that we haven't spent any time with at all. But it has to do with uh, the mayor's race not in Pittsburgh, which is something we haven't really talked about at all either, which we will have to remedy. Um, But the mayor's race in New York City, uh, I vaguely recall when the race began, there were something like 5,000 people running. I don't, it was, it was unbelievable. I don't know if it's been whittled down to uh, somewhat manageable uh, scrum, but um, out in front, generally speaking, in almost every poll, is uh, Andrew Yang, who we all got to know uh, as a presidential contender uh, for the Democrats. And uh, he he is astonishing a lot of people by uh, maintaining a uh, pretty constant lead um, in all the polls that are done. And what I saw today just blew me away because he has received the endorsement of a, a, I don't know how to describe it. It's a, a bit of a consortium of Orthodox Jewish sects, S-E-C-T-S, Um, um, those very ultra Orthodox Jews who, you know, wear the strange garb 
um, they are a huge voting block in uh, New York City politics. And they are courted as such by candidates and their endorsement uh, is eagerly sought for one thing because that endorsement usually means something because that endorsement is followed by the followers of these sects and they vote. So I was stunned to see that these Orthodox Jews, ultra Orthodox Jews, have given Andrew Yang their endorsement. Don't ask me why I'm shocked, but in all of those people running, there's got to be some Jews that they passed over. There's got to be some, I don't know. Uh, it's interesting, and to me, um, is an indicator that uh, he's the guy to beat, and he could well be the next mayor of New York City, Andrew Yang. Wow. Interesting. I mean, he's never, he's never run um, a city. He's never run a, uh, even a tiny little city. He's never served in that kind of capacity. So, you know, to, as a voter, that would be a, 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 a bit of a leap. I don't know. Fascinating. Anyway. Maybe you don't think so, but it's somewhat fascinating to me. Okay, equally fascinating in a whole different way is something I came across that I don't even comprehend. I'm continuing to read articles that I think, what? Huh? Now, I'm almost loath to pass this on because I can't believe it. I'm reading it from the uh, science section of the Daily Mail, which is a British uh, publication. And it is about the fact that in Florida, of course, anything coming out of Florida that you read and you think, what? <laughs> which happens quite often, uh, does turn out to, in fact, be true. A bunch of Floridians are appealing to the Environmental Protection um, Agency to stop a, an experiment that uh, is about to begin. I guess, um, I think it starts later this week. And it's bizarre. They, have, um, they are going to start releasing genetically modified mosquitoes and this will be done in stages over the next three months. Uh, ultimately, the plan is up to a billion genetically modified mosquitoes will be released in one county, Monroe County. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, the idea that more mosquitoes would actually be released, uh, would first of all get my attention. Um, however, they're being released to try to get a handle on mosquitoes. And the mosquitoes that are being released are all males. 
because males, and I didn't know this, males don't bite or sting or whatever they do. They don't do it. When you get bitten by a mosquito, that's a woman. Yeah, it's a female. So these are genetically engineered male mosquitoes. And they have been genetically altered to when they mate to pass on a kind of a certain protein which will ensure that any female mosquitoes that are created as a result of this copulation will not survive. And those are the ones that stink. So this is a release of genetically altered male mosquitoes who are engineered to kill their female offspring, essentially. Now, as a female myself, I found myself having a little bit of, you know, what? This is a whole campaign to kill the females. But the females are the ones that um, bite. And this is an effort to try to stop mosquito-borne diseases. This is being done by a private company that has gotten the okay from, I guess, whoever you get an okay from there in Monroe County. And it is a British biotech company. And they've done something like this in, in a small trial in the UK before. But this is a, anyway, so this is America so, and this is Florida. So there are people that are going berserk. And I'm looking at a whole lot of quotes from freaked out Floridians. I think this is criminal. We're being bullied into being guinea pigs in an, in an experiment. I find it criminal. We are being subjected to this terrorism by our own Florida Mosquito Control Board. Uh, the Centers for Disease Control are aware of this. They haven't said that's a good idea or that's a bad idea, but they have, I guess, said that they will be interested in looking at any results that come in um, after it. This, this raises so many questions in my head. For one thing, can you imagine, how do you, if you only are gonna do this to male mosquitoes, can you imagine who are the people who have to look at all these mosquitoes and then decide which ones are, uh, how do you sex a mosquito? I don't know. I'm sure that you can, obviously. So they, they, first of all, you got to separate the male mosquitoes from the females. Then you genetically alter each mosquito, each male mosquito. I mean, I'm thinking just of the minutia of and the and the the fact that they're going to eventually release a billion. So that's like a billion 
separate times that somebody has to ID a male mosquito and then genetically engineer, do a surgery. Uh, I don't know on, on the male mosquito before it's let out to do what males do, which is have sex with a female who will then only give birth to males. And obviously what they're thinking, I mean, I can see why you could sell this to somebody at generation after generation after generation, you're fewer and fewer and fewer, fewer females. And at some point, I'm sorry, uh, there aren't going to be any. Do mosquitoes serve? A, mosquitoes are um, food for birds. I don't know. Well, here we go. Anytime we, that's homo sapiens, start screwing around like this <laughs> with Mother Nature, it, it doesn't necessarily turn out well. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I don't know if you were there, if you would be one of the people freaking out about it. Um, you know, there's a whatever. There's a lot of concern among a lot of folks that somehow this is not going to turn out well. Because people don't like being part of an experiment. And especially when you're dealing with things like genetic modification and um, mosquitoes, who are not exactly popular creatures. So I, I, I just, I don't know. And the reason, obviously, this is being done in Florida, because there has been an influx of a certain, this is all dealing with a certain uh, kind of mosquito, uh, a certain species, which originated in Brazil, but which uh, just loves to, the females, not only bite us, but give us various diseases, including Zika. So, whatever. Um, just wanted to pass that on if for some reason you had missed that one, because it sure did interest me. Well, Breeze heard of it too, because he sent me an article. Oh, they've already been released in Malaysia, in the forest. And when was this done? So this is starting to happen. Um, and this article, which comes from Time magazine, uh, says that they have released uh, a paltry 6,000 genetically modified mosquitoes in an uninhabited patch of forest in December. That sounds like a little bit better than doing a billion in a highly populated area. But what the hell do I know? Anyway, so it it is, yeah, it's going after the same mosquito doing the same thing that I have just uh, suggested. And uh, Malaysian officials uh, have said this is the first experiment of its kind in Asia, but there have been other releases. Um, as I said, I believe in the UK there was a, a small experiment. And 
this article says that the potential benefits of controlling disease through genetically modifying insects is very, very big. Malaria, uh, which kills a, a million people every year, could maybe get pretty much eradicated this way. Uh, I don't know. Dang fever. And that's what the Malaysians were going after. Um, so whatever, there you got it. And uh, oh, Malaysia's thing is over. Their exper experiment is over. And all the engineered mosquitoes have been killed with insecticide. Well, thanks for nothing. I mean, these guys... These guys did all that work for these guys and then they killed them? Why would you kill them? Man, I don't know. I don't understand anything anymore. I'm just in a constant state of flummoxment. Henry writes, regarding those mosquitoes, this sounds like the beginning of a bad movie. <laughs> the thought of testing these mosquitoes in one county is ridiculous. <laughs> well, for one thing, mosquitoes don't know counties. Right, right. So, okay, the thought of testing these mosquitoes in one county is ridiculous. Even a billion mosquitoes is actually a small number. It will make no difference. Mosquitoes travel many miles in their lifetime. I always wondered if mosquitoes can carry COVID. Oh, I think they already answered that and they said no. Also, Henry says, I'm always very careful believing stories from the Daily Mail. Uh, okay, but we've already seen that this is, you know, it is obviously there is truth in this story um, because the, the CDC has uh, is aware of this experiment going on. But Henry's right. The Daily Mail is not exactly uh, the Times of London. And uh, Henry is saying that they are the ones responsible for, you know, this ridiculous story about Biden uh, banning meat. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You're not going to be able to have a hamburger. That's right. That's the. That, this is what Republicans. I move on from Dr. Seuss to uh, hamburgers. I, I. I'm searching for a. Pathetic was the word that was in my head, but it's not. The Republican Party is, um, it would be a joke if it weren't so dangerous in its current state. But there is no seriousness there. And there is absolutely no regard for, for truth or reality. So they spread anything. As a matter of fact, that was one of the other stories I wanted to talk about. And that was this New York Post story. That's Rupert Murdoch rag in New York City. The New York Post story um, about the fact that when 
little, little brown children from south of our border come to the United States and are intercepted by our government, they are put in shelters of a sort, detained, and they are given little bags of goods to help them in their, in their, you know, whatever, in their confinement. And the Post, uh, New York Post, published this story about how each kid was being given a copy of Vice President Kamala Harris's children's book called Superheroes Are Everywhere. Well, the outrage that greeted the release of this New York Post story is now well known. Um, Fox News hosts went ballistic. Uh, Republican senators and congressmen freaked. Questions were asked at the White House, uh, at the daily news conference. Um, and the story turns out to be wholly untrue. Absolutely untrue. But before it's found to be untrue, first of all, the Post acknowledges it's untrue with this little teeny sentence. Uh, the story is published uh, earlier, uh, was factually incorrect or something. I mean, it said absolutely nothing. Suggested that, um, oh, they said uh, it, apparently it was just one book was given to uh, one child. And that isn't even known. The only evidence is a photo of the book superheroes are everywhere <laughs> well at least it wasn't dr seuss superheroes are everywhere on the bed of uh, a bed in a shelter and from that your right-wing media put out the story that every child who ends up in U.S. custody is being given that book and probably beaten if they do not read it religiously every night to indoctrinate them. The reporter who wrote the story has since resigned. She said, she'd worked at the Post for 20-some years, she said, she couldn't take it anymore. She said she was ordered, and has been in the past, ordered to report this nonsense. And how she just, she said, that's it. I'm out of here. I don't know whether to believe that either, because anyone who would, as a journalist supposedly, uh, promulgate knowingly false stories uh, for political purposes, uh, is not somebody who I would believe about anything. So it's, um, it's unbelievable. And so think of Rupert Murdoch. So, yeah, so he, what he's doing to our democracy, by the way, he became an American citizen, didn't he? Is there a way to revoke his citizenship? <laughs> I'm, I'm on board um, because this immigrant, Rupert Murdoch, Australian immigrant to this country, 
I'd like to set ice upon him. I'd like him detained. Because he does pose a clear and present danger. He doesn't even need a caravan of his like. He alone is more of a threat to this country than all the caravans Republicans can conjure heading toward our borders. Unbelievable. And it wasn't just the one story. They followed it up with another one that, again, falsely claimed that these children have been given copies of the book. Um, it's, uh, these are not, the New York Post is not truly a newspaper. It is the prop, it's part of the propaganda enterprise, extraordinarily successful propaganda enterprise of Rupert Murdoch's empire. So the Post posts it and Fox News picks it up. And before you can blink an eye, it is all over every social media outlet. And the gullible masses who buy this swill night after night after night have swallowed another big gulp of lies. They're worried that their hamburgers are going to be taken away from them. And yet they swallow. They swallow so much crap. It is beyond belief. And, you know, I'm not going to get to. It is the single most, to me, danger that this country faces. The disinformation campaign that has given us Donald Trump, given us January 6th, given us this outraged, a huge, huge slice of America, which is now in a constant state of outrage over fantasy. You can't have a functional democracy with this. You can't. I mean, I'm not, I don't think that's hyperbole. I'm just flat out speaking truth here. You can't. And so Rupert Murdoch should not be a U.S. citizen. He should never have been granted that. You think of all the other immigrants in this country who will never be given U.S. citizenship, who would be wonderful additions to the fabric of this nation instead of a Rupert Murdoch whose sole purpose in life is to destroy this country. Oh, God. Okay. Well, now I've worked myself up into a total state of terror. Uh, okay, Bree, I'll watch all this. Bree is just sending me one thing after another about fighting Deng with the mosquitoes. And then 
the fogging operations that uh, that go on in Malaysia. Yeah. But here again, as I said, you know, we don't like mosquitoes, humans. My dog doesn't like them either. I mean, you know, they, they afflict all of, uh, you know, they afflict a lot of us because they drink our blood. And um, so I can see why we would say, get rid of them. But because, of course, <laughs> everything living is here for a reason and a pest to us is breakfast, lunch, and dinner to another living creature, like the birds, which, as I pointed out, we have decimated. So to go after mosquitoes is, again, to harm birds. Take away, we take away their habitats, we take away their clean air, clean water, and, and we take away their, um, their food sources. So I, I don't know. I just think we're a, we are a real problematic species and creation. And I've often, you know, as a, I've often thought, what the hell was God thinking? I mean, I know there's, there's always answers for that. Well, he gave us free will and uh, we're just, uh, whatever, I don't know. Um, no, we are. We are like um, a Frankenstein monster, you know, look like a good idea at the time. But we have morphed into this killer species, a total killer species and as selfish a species as there is. Well, Aaron says about the president's speech tonight that he has an icky feeling about it. On one hand, I have to tell you, that's the second time the word icky has uh, taken my attention this day, which is, you know, it's just a coincidence, I'm sure. But, you know, I can go weeks without thinking or saying or seeing the word icky. And twice in the last hour, I was, I was doing a word puzzle. But back to Aaron and his icky feeling. On one hand, he says, I really want to hear what he has to say. I also want to experience the visual of those two women behind him. But on the other hand, I don't think I can sit there the whole time with my stomach in knots, waiting to see what despicable stunt will be pulled by one of the crazy Republicans. I just have a feeling that there's going to be some kind of showboating by them. And it'll really upset me. Well, you know what? What I don't know about this, I think that icky feeling you have can be assuaged somewhat by the reality that because of the pandemic, instead of over a thousand people in the room, there's only going to be 200. And my guess is they will be overwhelmingly members of the president's own party. Unless there was, a, you know, a deal struck. Okay, you can have 100 seats for Republicans and 100 seats for Democrats. Um, but given that, 
uh, any stunt, anyone screaming something out or something would be, oh God, I, I mean, I'm not going to disabuse you of this uh, feeling you have because we are talking about people that we do know will do this kind of thing if given an opportunity. You lie! Remember? That's what the first black president got the first time he tried to give this speech. <sighs> okay, well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. You know, it's funny, because I'm not looking forward to the speech. I, I just... You know, political speeches rarely um, interest me. Um, on occasion, they turn into, um, I mean, in rare occasions, they become historic, right, and memorable four score and seven years ago, right? It is rare, rare. And we know that State of the Union addresses, you know, are these litanies of wishes and also, you know, some, some back padding about what has been accomplished. And this president, uh, not even in office for a hundred days, deserves to pat himself on the back for an awful lot of stuff, but he probably won't that much because he's not like the president he replaced. He's not given to braggadocio. Well, we'll see, huh? We'll see. Let me see this. Brooke writes, you can't have a functional democracy if people don't know what or what not to believe. And that is exactly what the Republicans are counting on. The biggest victim of the Trump administration was, and still is, truth. I don't know what we can do about it, Brooke. I just don't know. You know, I have thought one thing I will do from now on, but because of the pandemic, I haven't. Every time I would, let's say, go to a doctor's office, you know, I'd be sitting in a waiting room. Not every time, but often Fox News was on. You know, they have a TV there, which I hate. Why do they think people want TVs? We all got our phones. We can read something. Always some stupid show on, right? I, first of all, would like the TVs to go. But given that they probably won't, I would like them to not have a news source on, okay? You know, so we wouldn't be accused of saying you can't have Fox News on, just say not. They should run PSAs or infomercials or whatever, or some really stupid game show, which some of them do do. But no. And I was thinking that one thing I will do in as much as ever there is a Fox News is on, I will either get up and change the channel, possibly getting myself killed by some gun-toting maniac, or I will 
I will let them know that if they don't get that damn thing off, I will be seeking my health care elsewhere. Um, yeah, shouldn't have to be subjected to Fox News. You go into a bar, they got Fox News on, tell them, hey, I'd like this, that, and the other thing, but it, but if, but I'll go elsewhere to get it if you don't turn that crap off now. I don't know. Little things, little things we can do, but you can no more tell Americans sitting in their homes what they watch. People get addicted. My mom is addicted to MSNBC. I'm assuming, I'm assuming that's from Susan. That's the station that's on all the time. I don't do MSNBC that much. I don't do any of them much. Um, but a whole bunch of people do Fox. And they have been for years and years and years and years, as you know, fed the steady diet of false stories and flat out lies. I don't know. Brooke is saying, please choose your news sources wisely. Don't live by headlines alone. Don't repeat rumors. We must all be good and responsible consumers of news. Oh, Brooke. I mean, that's, of course. I feel like you're a small voice in the wilderness. Ah. Uh, okay. Uh, let's cheer ourselves up. With an obituary. This obituary is mind-boggling. I never heard of the guy. Maybe you have because clearly he's been in the news, but he missed, uh, somehow I missed, missed him. He's a great-looking character. His name is Oli. He's of Norwegian extraction, but born in, in America. Oli Anthony. You ever heard of him? He's dead now. He was 82 years old. But there are things, even like parenthetical things in his obituary that would be huge stories in, in anyone else's. And they're just sort of, oh, and yes, and by the way, yes, taken hostage, released. By, and, and you think, what? Huh? Who? This guy's life, I don't think he's a good guy. It's a real mixed bag you get, but I don't think he's a good guy. This is a guy who mostly went after televangelists. He got to a point in his life where he thought that televangelists making money off of poor, you know, it's like, again, he should have gone after Rupert Murdoch. It's the same kind of thing, right? Lying to credulous populations and robbing them of their, uh, of their money in the case of televangelists. Um, I'll try to give you a little bit of this, but it, it goes on to the point where you think, what the, what the hell? He was a former Air Force intelligence specialist, and he was a Republican political operative at one point, and then he found Jesus, the year 1972, 
And he renounced, he had been living pretty high on the hog. He found Jesus and went full bore. I mean, he got rid of all trappings of wealth. He decided to live essentially a monkish existence. He brought uh, followers in. And a lot of people would say he himself ended up uh, essentially creating a cult. Uh, it was called the Trinity Foundation. And by the way, Trinity was not referring to the religious sense of the Trinity. Trinity was referring to the bomb. Was that a hydrogen bomb? Tr Trinity. And because he was trained in electronics when he was in the military, and in 1958, before he found Jesus, he was sent to some little island in the South Pacific where he was told he was going to watch a small nuclear test that would be done many, many, many miles away, but he was to report on what he saw. Well, according to his obit, the ex resulting explosion was so much bigger than anybody had expected that the island he'd been put on was not far enough away. And it left him with radiation burns and scores of tumors throughout his body. Okay, that's one of the sort of parentheticals. Oh, he leaves the military, takes a job with a defense contractor. But he's continuing on the side to work for the Air Force. Sneaking behind the Iron Curtain. Sneaking behind the, remember, the bamboo curtain. To install long-range sensors to detect Chinese and Soviet nuclear tests. However. We're not sure about that part. <laughs> what? Then he got involved in Republican politics, all of that. Then he finds Jesus. And he starts the Trinity Foundation. And I guess that was what Trinity was the world's first nuclear test. That's what it's called, Trinity. And he said, that's what the foundation's name is about, because his quote is, God vaporized my value system the way that bomb vaporized its target. He had a very abrasive style. He constantly talked about his sex life, doing running Bible study classes. He had been on the Pat Robertson 700 Club, but Robertson uh, permanently barred him because his constant heading into sexual uh, conversation uh, upset uh, Robertson's audience. Um, so he starts attracting ex-hippies and addicts and disaffected people and yada, yada, yada. And one of them was a guy who had been a writer and an actor. I mean, this is a obit. I can, can't, it reads like some, you know, it reads like a novel. And one of the guys who gets, uh, you know, sort of 
brought into his web at the Trinity Foundation is a guy named John Bloom. But that's not the name he used when he was an actor. His name as an actor was Joe Bob Briggs. And these two became buddies. And here's the here, okay, I am just going to read the next few sentences. Because as I said, this just sort of is one little in 1980, Ole Anthony, the dead guy, accompanied uh uh this Billy Bob Bloom guy on a trip to Milan, Italy, where Bloom was investigating a stolen art ring for the publication Texas Monthly. Well, the deal went bad, and the two these two guys, along with an informant, had to get out of Milan, Italy really fast, and they fled to Beirut, Lebanon. The Bloom guy, the writer, went from Beirut, flew to Paris. But the informant, who had been with the two of them, took Oli Anthony hostage. At one point, putting a gun to his head. And all it says here, he was rescued by American agents. Okay, so then he goes back to going after televangelist. Oh, wait, there's this. He was living off because he gave up, you know, stuff, but he had money. And it turns out the money was from a settlement that he got after an accident in 1979 when he was in a steam room at a gym and he stepped on a live wire. The injury that he got seared his nerves, leaving him dependent on pain meds and using a cane. So that joins his knobby tumors from the nuclear explosion that he uh, experienced in the 50s. I can't even, I'm not even, I have to tell you. Then somebody comes to him and tells him that the last, his last little pennies were taken by some jerk televangelist and he was destitute. So this is when he starts going after them. And he does it by dumpster diving behind their banks, finding finding tons of envelopes uh, where the, the people had sent in uh, money and you know and prayer things where they saying pray for me for this or that. The money was always gone, but the envelopes open, the money's gone, and uh, the prayer requests are still in the envelope. He goes after, starts going after these guys. He ends up on ABC's Primetime Live. And he goes after a big uh, Tilton was his name. Do you remember that televangelist? He went after him and took him down with the help of, I think, ABC News. Then he starts going after others. He went after Benny Hinn. He went after a whole bunch of them. And then stories about him start coming out, and he ends up being investigated. 
by a lot of people who wanted to bring him down. I don't know what to tell you. This guy's life, you can't believe it. It says here as recently as last year, he was tracking the flights of private jets owned by prominent television preachers. You know, in that regard, what he spent so much of his life doing, I'm with the guy. I am with the guy. But he sounds like a, wow, a piece of work. Anyway, that's a guy named Ole Anthony, whose life is a whole lot more colorful than most of ours, right? Jeez. I actually sort of thought the obit didn't read very well, that it should have. It, I mean, I don't know how you condense a life with those many, you know, twists, turns, and, you know, potentially untrue uh, mythologies uh, in it. But there it is. I, I was working off the New York Times uh, obituary. Only Anthony Scourge of Televangelists dies. Um, oh, God. There's something I've had here for some time and I haven't. Oh, wait. Yeah. I read this, I think, Sunday. And it got me so hopping mad, I couldn't, <laughs> I was reading it at the kitchen table here with my mom, and and I started sputtering and squawking and screaming, and I could tell she was thinking, oh, God, please, just be quiet. Um, but I, it was a story about how, during the pandemic, how the rich got richer, right? I mean, got so much richer, you can't imagine. By the way, I started noticing a verbal tick I have that I've never noticed before. And I hate to draw attention to it because then you'll start hearing it if you haven't. But I'm going to draw attention to it because I want to try to stop it. What's odd about it, it is a tick. I'll get back to the, the despicable rich just a second. But I just noticed I'd done it again. One of the things when I was watching the Derek Chauvin trial, his attorney, his defense attorney, when he did his closing arguments, his interminable closing arguments, had a verbal tick of making a statement and then following it with, right? And sometimes it didn't even have to be really said. It turned into almost a hum, you know, sort of like, and I said, yeah, hmm? right, right. It would just be like that, right? And it started annoying the hell out of me, right? <laughs> and then since I've been here in Green Bay, I've started hearing me, right, doing it. I don't know if I used to do it. And I have got to stop because, well, that's how you stop a verbal tick. Uh, you first note it. 
and then you kill it. And um, I'm in the killing it stage. Well, I just really still in the noting stage, but I have noted it. And just today, I have heard it in the last 40 minutes. I'd say a good 10 times. So now that I've told you that, you'll start hearing it if you hadn't already. But I, I'm hoping you won't hear it much because I am really going to get rid of it because it annoyed the hell out of me when that guy did it. So why wouldn't it annoy you? It's one, you know, clear. It's so obviously uh, the kind of verbal tick that is meant to buy time and also in a way, underscore what you just said and, and try to force an acknowledgement of what you just said from your listener, right? Right. So that requires, you know, the listener to like maybe nod. And that's the kind of stuff we all do, um, you know, unthinkingly. But I, I don't want to do this. So I'm going to have to stop it. <laughs> One should not have to look for constant encouragement and acknowledgement from people so that every time you make a statement, you make them, yeah, nod their heads, right? Right. So I am really going to work mightily not to do that. Excuse me, I'm gulping something. Back to the despicable rich. God almighty. You may have seen this, but I just, I just, I don't know how these people can look at, I, well, you know what I'm going to say, look at themselves in the mirror, know that there, there's so many people in the world who hardly have any money, any means, and here they are with so much more than any human could possibly need. I don't understand people who still just want more and more and more and more. And if there are certain white men that have risen in capitalist ranks, they very well could be in a position where they do just keep getting more and more and more. And then they become sort of people who are, you know, this is how they gain status while the rest of the world goes begging. Okay, so let's take one company, Boeing. Boeing was in the news uh, a lot in the last year and a half. Pretty much coincide, you know, really, stop and think. There were those two horrific plane crashes because of their new plane, the 737 MAX. I mean, hundreds of people killed. And the plane grounded for most of the year. And then, of course, Boeing uh, and airplanes in general didn't have a good year because nobody was going anywhere. So it wasn't a good year to be at Boeing. If you were a worker there, pretty good odds you might have gotten laid off. They laid off 30,000 thousand people. They reported 
a net loss of $12 billion in 2020. And yet, their chief executive, their CEO, was rewarded with over $21 million for his work that year. Oh, paltry compared to the guy who ran Norwegian runs, Norwegian cruise lines. They had a bad year too, same reason. They weren't going anywhere. His pay was doubled to $36 million this year, even though the company lost $4 billion and a whole bunch of people who worked for him lost their jobs, right? Hilton, oh, there, there, I did it. You hear that, right? Okay, Hilton Hotels, nearly a quarter of the corporate staff laid off because of the pandemic. Nobody's traveling. The company lost 720 mil, but it was a good year if you ran Hilton Hotels because the chief executive of Hilton, a guy named Chris Nasetta, was paid $56 million. It doesn't matter if it's a good year, if it's a bad year, if thousands of people who work and labor for these guys lose their jobs, then perhaps their homes, who, you know, whatever, they continue to get paid these exorbitant salaries. And we tolerate it. And to me, it is intolerable. It is intolerable. And we've been told this because it would have been considered intolerable 40 years ago. Within our lifetimes, there was not this kind of insanity. There was not. The gap between what the guy sitting on top gets and what the guy working for him gets has never been broader. And it just keeps growing. And we yawn. In 1989, so how many, what is that? That's 40 years ago, essentially. Okay, so I said 40 years ago. In 1989, on average, a CEO was paid 61 times as much as a worker, as the average worker. 61 times. That actually is indefensible. <laughs> but you know what it is now? 320 times. And next year, it'll be 400. And the year after that, 500. Until you have just a few guys right at the top who have everything. And everybody else goes a-begging. 
this is not good for the world. It's not good for the country. It's not good. It is indefensible. Good times are bad. They're always good times for this guy, these guys. Absolutely good times. Oh, okay. Well, I think I done talked my way into the end. Uh, just quickly get this in from Barbara. What you give me here? Tim Scott, the Senate's only black Republican. Yeah, will deliver the rebuttal to Biden. Well, I'll tell you what. I ain't staying up for it. <laughs> These rebuttal things are always, almost always absurd. Um, and this Tim Scott guy, I, I don't know. Again, I, I don't know how he lives with himself being in this party, this racist white nationalist <laughs> party. I don't know how. I don't get it. I don't get it. Okay. I guess that's it for me. So we'll watch Biden's address. By the way, security, even though there's going to be just 200 people in it, is extremely tight. We should not forget these crazies that we're living with now. And, and you know, back to, I think, Aaron's uh, icky feeling. This would be this would be a wondrous opportunity to take out the three top Democrats, right? Right? And I meant that right. That right I did. That was a full-blown right. Yeah. So oh, I can see why it, security is extremely tight. All right, you guys. Is it in the 80s there? It's so cold here. I can't believe it. But you guys, it's been like, ah. anyway, I'm a coming home soon. And uh, next week I will be uh, back at my own dining room table. Okay. Uh, have a good one. Be safe. And uh, talk to you tomorrow if you want. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.